Well, good morning. Thank you so much. Uh, well, first of all, to my youth group, thank you. Uh, I love you too, Amber. Um, thank you for your love, for the memories, for the fun that we've had. And I'm excited to see uh, your faith continue to grow as I come back over the, the years and see you develop. And I'm so proud of, of who you've become and all the things that God has in plan for you. So thank you. Thank you, church, for our partnership for the past three and a half years and helping prepare me for what God's got in store. And, and people ask me, well, how long are you planning to stay there? And, and how, what's the, I, you know, I'm just trusting God that he's got this, this thing right. Avery and I were actually able to sit. We were sitting on our couch. And, of course, we were thinking about making the decision to move. And we have so much love here for this church, uh, both sides of our family being in the area. Uh, this is a special place to us. And so it was really difficult as we're deciding. So she's sitting on the couch and she's crying. And I'm sitting across her trying not to cry, you know. And, and we're talking and I'm saying, okay, so are we going to, you know, do this? Are we not? And she's like, I don't want to. I said, I don't really want to either. <laughs> and then she said, but I know that this is what God wants us to do. And I said, and I do too. And so then we decided that we were going to make the decision to allow our faith to control our fear and not the other way around. And so we trust God that he's got a plan for us and a plan for this church and it's all going to work out to his good. Amen? Yeah. Um, thank you. I want you to open up your Bibles. Uh, I want every eye in here on the text if we can do that. Okay? So if you have someone sitting next to you that has it scoot over, we're all family here. They're not going to bite. Get your eye on the text. Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46 here in just a minute. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Uh, before I get into the text, though, I've got to keep the tradition alive. Um, and I didn't realize it was a tradition until someone pointed it out to me last week. I was walking out of the church, um, and it had just been announced that I was going to be preaching this next week. And, and Rick met me in the parking lot, and he said, hey. I said, hey. He said, which animal? Oh, you're laughing. You know already, huh? See, I didn't realize. He said, which animal? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're preaching next Sunday. Which animal? What? what? He said, every time you've preached, you've talked about a different animal. And I started to think about it, and it's true. I, I preached about horses. I preached about eagles. And I preached about lions. And so this morning, I'm going to keep it alive, and I'm going to tell you a story about monkeys. Um, so Avery and I, we love zoos, and we love animals. I guess that's why they find their way into my lesson so often. Uh, <laughs> And so if you ever go to the zoo, you see as you're walking around, you know how you get up to the cages and they have those little signs out in front and they tell you a description kind of about the animal. Well, one of my favorite animals to watch is the monkey, okay, because they're, they're, all, they're always jumping around and having fun and up to no good and I kind of enjoy watching that, you know, especially if everything else is sleeping and it's a bad time of the day, usually you can go to the monkeys and, and at least they're moving and so we're watching and looking at all these different monkeys. And there's one particular monkey that we saw, and I don't remember the name of it, but it had no tail. And I thought it looked really weird. And so we read the sign about it. And uh, it, it, it was like this legend that said that these monkeys had gotten up into some mountain range somewhere way up high. And it was really cold. And the sign was basically saying that the monkeys literally froze their tails off. And... Uh, and then there was this statement that said that the, they had adapted to an environment that they could not change. You know, and I think that we do that often, don't we? 
We begin to adapt to an environment that we can't change. And that makes me think of a a scripture in Mark chapter 10. This lesson is one of my favorite. The stories has become uh, one of the closest to my heart. Um, And and so I hope you'll join me on this journey of of meeting a, a new man named Bartimaeus. Look at verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving a city, a blind man... Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, what? Begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they, who's the they there, by the way? I'm going to have a little interaction with you. Who's, who's the they? The crowd. What did the crowd just tell them to do? Be quiet. Stop. Stop yelling. And then Jesus looks at them and says, call him to me. And so then who has to go and get him and bring him up and help him and bring him to the feet of Jesus? The very ones who were telling him to be quiet. Isn't it interesting? That's just a side note. How God does that. A lot of times he'll make your enemies your footstool. And he'll take the very ones who are trying to tell you to be quiet and to keep you quiet and to to tell you to just stop doing all this stuff and will use them in his plan. I love it. Uh, So they called the blind man and they said, Cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his what? His cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Does Jesus know what he wants? So who's this question for? Is it for Jesus? It's for the man. It's for Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus on the road. I want to tell you a few things that I noticed about Bartimaeus. Okay, number one is this. He was supposed to be somebody important. He was supposed to do something great. The reason I know that is because the text gives him a name. Did you catch that? Have you noticed that a lot of characters in Scripture don't have a name? You're never told who they are. The woman at the well, what's her name? Woman at the well. Right? The woman who is bleeding, what's her name? Woman with blood. There's so many people in Scripture who we don't know their names, but we know his name. Why? Because the people who would read this would recognize that name. And not only did they give the name of the blind man, Bartimaeus, but they gave the name of who? His dad. So his name means something. His family name means something. People in that area would recognize when they said, oh, that's Bartimaeus, you know, the the son of Timaeus. Oh, I know who you're talking about. He was supposed to do something great. Now, I don't know what the family line did. I don't know. I imagine in my mind, they must have had money, power, status. They must have owned some kind of of, of land. I'm not sure what it was. They may have been in government. But whatever it is, his name meant something to people around. He was supposed to do something great. He was supposed to be somebody important. But what? He was blind. Isn't it interesting? His condition contradicts his position. 
The condition of blindness now contradicts the position that he was supposed to hold. And rather than being in the courts and rather than being in front of the people and rather than being rich, here he is now in our scene, a grown man on the roadside doing what? He's begging. So one condition completely changes his position. And I think sometimes it's with us that way, isn't it? That sometimes our condition can contradict our position. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But let me tell you something. Not only was he a blind man begging on the side of the road. And by the way, what what kind of road is this? Is this just a back street alley? That doesn't make sense. Why? Because what's he doing? He's begging. So you're going to go to the least populated or the most populated road. So you've got a man. This is one of the saddest texts in Scripture, in my opinion. Because you've got a man who was supposed to be somebody great, to do something important. To be someone successful and instead here he is on the roadside and he's begging with no hope. Because see, if you suffer from a disease today or even if you suffer from blindness today, can you function in our society? What are some of the things that you can do to function in our society if you were struck with blindness? Do what? You've got Braille. Do what? I, I didn't hear you. Uber. Absolutely. You've got Uber. You just call somebody they'll come and pick you up. Right? That'll work. What else you got? You know, the, the, the sticks, I don't know the proper term. The, just the cane. You've got, you've got a cane and you can, it helps you to feel and, and you also tap it on the ground and I think that helps your sight. I'm not educated in this. I'm sorry. I don't, but I know that it helps people function. There are ways to function in society. Just because you're struck with something in these days, it doesn't mean no hope. But in those days... There was no hope. When you caught a sickness, there was no Walgreens down the street to go and get some medicine and to get better. You're without hope. That's why they had colonies of people that were segregated. When you caught leprosy, where did you go? You were segregated into a colony of people who had the same problem as you. And by the way, I think some of the strongest relationships were probably with uh, two lepers stuck in a colony together, don't you? Your pain oftentimes brings the biggest blessings in your life. And I think that's still true today, even though we can get help for so many different things we're involved in. Don't miss the opportunity that comes through pain. Some of you are suffering right now, and I think that's just a little side note that you needed this morning, is to hear that your pain has a purpose, and a lot of times that purpose is for you to build a relationship with someone else, to help someone who's going through with what you're going through. And sometimes it's just to increase your faith. Pain has a purpose, and yours does too. But, but So you've got a man on the side of the road. He's got no hope. He's by this busy roadside. And I think not only is the pain of not being able to see, I, 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 think, I don't think that's the worst part. You know what the worst part would be? I don't know if you're like me, but I think about Bartimaeus sitting there on the roadside and all these people are passing by every day and he's sitting on the roadside and he's hoping that somebody is, is going to give him some kind of money to make it to the next day. But what's he listening to? He may not be able to see, but he can hear. So what's he listening to as everybody passes by? He's listening to the laughter. He's listening to them talk about their day at work, about what they're going to go home and eat. What's going to happen? He's watching, he's not watching, but he's listening to people who are living the life that he can't live only a few feet away. Sometimes the most painful thing about our pain is not the pain itself, but watching everybody else who goes on without that pain and without that hindrance. And they're doing life, building ministry, building family, having good relationships while we're stuck. And that's one of the most miserable places that you can be. And that's where we find Bartimaeus. 
I don't know if he was born blind or if he received this blindness along the way. But either way, don't you know that people, they know him. That's why he's given the name. And as they walk by, he can hear. You know, when you can't see, you learn to train your other senses to get even stronger and so he can hear even better. And people don't think he can hear. And as they're passing by and they're whispering about him, he hears all the whispers. He knows what people are thinking about him. Every day he's reminded literally through other people's words of who he was supposed to be. But because of his condition, he's a nobody. It's a sad story. And he's sitting by watching everybody else go on without him. And he's got a couple of things. One thing we know from the text. What's one thing that you saw in the text that he has? We read it. Look back at your scripture. His cloak. Very good. He's got his coat. What's a coat used for? It keeps you warm, doesn't it? It keeps you comfortable. Why has he got his cloak? Because it's going to be really cold by the roadside. It's going to get really uncomfortable out there. And so I may not have much, but at least I've got my cloak so that I can stay warm and I can try to stay comfortable in the midst of this horrible situation that I find myself in. I may be stuck in an environment that I can't change. He can't change his blindness. There's nothing that he can do to affect affect that. So I might as well get comfortable in the situation that I'm in because there's no getting out of this situation. And not only does he have his cloak, the text doesn't say this, but what else would a, a beggar have? He's got his cup. And what's his cup used for? Money. Contribution. And what's he hoping that someone's going to put in? Something in here to change his life? No. He's just hoping somebody's going to put something in his cup that's going to help him get to the next day. That somebody will put some kind of contribution in here that will help me go to the store and at least buy enough food for myself so that I can live to go back where tomorrow? The same roadside with the same cup and the same coat. And so if I can't change my situation, I might as well change how comfortable I am and I might as well get my cup out and try to survive until the next day. And so often I think that's where we are in life, isn't it? I think so often you and I, because of sin in our lives, we find ourselves oftentimes in situations we can't change. And so we do what Bartimaeus has done. And we grab our coat and we get as comfortable in the sin and as comfortable in the uncomfortable situation that we're in. And we get our cup. And let me tell you something, the world is really good at putting stuff in your cup. They're really good at telling you what's going to help you in the situation that you're in. They're really good at filling your cup and saying, if you'll just do this, look at this, wear this, be this, if you'll just take this, then that will help in your situation. That's what will get you off the streets. But every time, do you notice when the world tells you something and you go in and you take it, it may relieve the temporary pain, it may make you a little more comfortable in the situation you're in, but the world will never give you something to get out of the situation you're in. But we buy into it every time. Why? Because even though we're sitting here this morning and you've come to church, we still feel as if we have no hope. Just like blind Bartimaeus. We buy into the lie that we have no hope, that we are in a situation that will never change. 
just as he was. I, I want to tell you a story um, about my family. Uh, my mom, who is here this morning, hey mom, my mom struggled with alcoholism for eight years. Uh, strong woman of faith, raised in a great family, raised in this area, uh, loves the Lord, has a, a, a great marriage. I think she raised pretty good kids myself. And yet sin can hit at any time and anywhere. And uh, for eight years, she struggled with alcoholism. And, and as a preacher's wife, do you think, what do you think the fear was? Not just for her, but for our whole family. It's letting the church know. Because what's going to happen when we let the church know? I don't know, but most likely it's not going to be good. It's, it's what at least you're thinking in your mindset, right? And I don't know if some of you grew up in the church, but, uh, uh, you know... You reversed time not too long in the, in the past. Opening up about things that you were going through was very difficult, wasn't it, in a church setting? That's one thing I really appreciate about Whitesbury Road. That's one thing it's taught me is the ability to speak out about the problems you have and not feel judged but feel as if people really love you and will help. And, and I think that's what grace really is. And I'm not saying that there aren't other churches out there that do this and I'm not saying the church that we were a part of wouldn't have done it either, but that's the fear that was there. And you can kind of understand that, can't you? So for eight years, mom's got her cup in this situation. And what's the world telling her to fill it with each and every day? Another drink. Because if you take another drink, then you don't have to think about what's actually going on outside of that drink. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. And so every day, the world says, no, 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 no. If you'll just take another drink, then you can just pass out. You don't have to worry about this and you can go away and and, and it's all going to be okay and and, and everything else will deal with itself. But for right now, at least today, that's going to take care of me. But tomorrow comes and I'm going to start to sober up. And what am I going to have to do tomorrow? I'm going to have to go back to the same roadside, wait for the same person to cross the road. And he's going to have to put something in my cup to help me survive tomorrow because I'm going to be in the same situation that I was today. Eight grueling years. And what about us as a family in dealing with something like that? Well, our, the, what the world would tell us is, put the mask on. Smile, shake hands, wear your coat and your tie and act like everything's okay. Get comfortable with your coat because it's going to be a long ride. And some of you, eight years, that doesn't sound like too much to you. Because some of you have been thinking, I don't even remember the last time that I was sober from whatever it is, whether that's lust, pornography, whether that's alcohol, whatever it may be, sin has a way of of hurting us and bringing us to the roadside and holding out in our cup, and Satan's good at filling it. Eight years we did that. Blind Bartimaeus, it's been his whole life. How long has it been for you? And so that's where we find ourselves in our text. Every day, every single day starts the same. Now, I won't even talk about the friends that were there, because how did he get to the roadside in the first place every day? You think he got there by himself? You know, so he had some people around him that surrounded him and helped him to the feet of Jesus, literally, (laughs) that helped him to the roadside every day. And sometimes that's all that you can do when you're family members of some kind of struggling situation in an environment that you can't change. Sometimes you just act like those friends do, and every single day you're faithful and bring them to the road. Even though you know all they're going to do is hold out their cup, you're just praying that one day somebody passes by that has an answer. (laughs) So my encouragement to you, if you're on the outside looking in of some kind of situation you can't change, you hang in there and you keep bringing them to the roadside because there is a God who will walk those streets and He will bring deliverance. And that's where we find ourselves in our text. 
is, is this man sits by the road every single day and every day has started the same way for him. But today is different. Because today he may not be able to see, but guess what he can still do? He can hear and faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so all of a sudden he hears that a man's coming down the road and his name's Jesus. And I've heard that this Jesus can do the impossible. I've heard that he can heal people who have no hope. That he's healed lepers with a touch. That he's cleansed a woman who was bleeding as she just touched the hem of his garment. I've even heard that he's healed the blind And for the first day, even though he may not be able to see, he can still hear. And he's got a sliver of hope for the first time in his life. This day starts out different as he goes by that roadside. Because Jesus is coming to town. And that changes everything. Even in in your darkest times and in the worst places of your life, you're just looking for a little bit of hope, aren't you? Just a little something different. But so often what we do is we wake up every single day and we focus on what we do not have. Every day for him was focused on what he didn't have. He couldn't see. Every day, people would look at him and say, oh, if only he wasn't blind. He would look at himself and say, "Only if only I could see. And it wasn't until he began to focus on what he did have instead of what he didn't have that things began to change for him. And I think the same is true for us. Things will never change as long as you continue to worry about who left you, who wasn't there, who didn't love you, who didn't support you, who didn't uplift you. If you keep focusing on all of those different things and what you can't do and who I'm not, then you're going to keep stuttering around like Moses at the burning bush, telling God all these different excuses. And Jesus is just waiting for you to focus on what you do have. Because, you're, listen, your miracle is always found in what you do have. Jesus isn't going to use something you don't have to bring about a miracle in your life. He's going to use something you have right now. There is hope in your life. You've just got to be willing to see it. And he could hear. And he heard Jesus was coming. And for the first day, he has hope. So when he hears that Jesus is coming, what does he begin to do? Look at your text. What does he do? He calls out and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's screaming so loud. Now, it's got to be going for a long time at this point, you know. Can't you see it? This blind man sitting on the roadside. He can't see anything. He doesn't know when Jesus is going to be coming down the road. So what's he just start doing? He's hollering because this is my one chance. This is my one chance. I'm not going to miss it. And so he just starts to holler at the top of his voice. And it goes for so long that people finally turn and they look at him and tell him what? Shut up. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for someone like you, Bartimaeus. He's going to see your father. Jesus doesn't have some time for somebody like you. You have no hope. You have nothing to contribute. Shut up. But when you're desperate enough, you shout all the more. Because there's no other option left. And so you get down on your knees and you begin to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he cries out and he cries out. And when Jesus finally comes down the road and he hears Bartimaeus, what does he do? He stops. Because when Jesus hears the cry of his children in pain, he stops and he looks. And Bartimaeus not be able to see him, but Jesus was looking right at Bartimaeus. And he looks to the people who told him to shut up and he says, go get him. Tell him to come to me, but this is where it gets deep. You hanging with me? Because Bartimaeus has a choice to make. 
Bartimaeus has a choice to make. This is the one day of deliverance. And, and, and I want you to look to your neighbor right now and say, today is your day. Today is your day for deliverance because there's a man named Jesus and he's coming down the road, but he's not here to stay. What's he doing? He's passing by the roadside. Moments of deliverance. I promise you this. Our God is bigger than impossible situations. And some of you understand that because of the sickness that you've been and you couldn't change that environment. You couldn't change the fact that you were, you were sick. Even for the scary word of cancer. Some of you have conquered that and beat that. Why? Because there is a, a man named Jesus who walked by your road. And he put something in your cup that changed your life forever. Actually, I, I like to say he, he made you toss away the cup because he gave you a real answer. And so today is your day because deliverance is coming by, but you've got to seize the moment. Bartimaeus seized the moment, and Jesus stopped and he looked at him. So here it is. Here's the moment. But Bartimaeus has a decision to make. And what's his decision? As you see him sitting down by the roadside, and he's got his coat on still, and he's got his cup. What runs through his mind as they say, get up and come to Jesus? I'm going to have to put down my cup. I'm going to have to take off my coat. That keeps me comfortable. But this is what, this is all I've got. He has nothing else. He has no other solution. And for his whole life, for my family's life, eight years, this is what we know. This is how we survived. So what's the decision going to be? Because if I drop this cup, if I put this down, if I take off my coat, what if the healing doesn't work? How's the church going to respond? What are people going to say? What's my family going to think when they know who I really am? And so Satan was doing a battle right there on the side of the road as Jesus is looking right at Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus can't see him. And all these people who told him to shut up are the ones who told him, come on, Jesus is waiting. Now he trusts them? That's a big decision. There's a lot of things that you realize that could have gone wrong in this moment, and yet Bartimaeus still has to make the decision, am I going to be willing to part with what kept me safe and what kept me comfortable in the midst of a situation I can't change? Because if this doesn't work, where am I going? Back to the same roadside, but this time without a cup and a coat. You see, it's all in with Jesus. When he looks at you and he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. He's letting you know in this world you'll have tribulation. He's going to let you know that you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice things that have made you comfortable and things that have kept you seemingly safe. So what does he do? This is the easy part, isn't it? Look at your text. And so they called the blind man, verse 49, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And so, throwing aside his cloak, he gets up. And what does he do? He jumped to his feet and he runs to Jesus because he says, this is my moment and I'm not staying another day on this roadside. It's in the same situation I'm in. And if this doesn't work, at least I've given it all I've got. And that's my prayer for you. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what it means to be here at church this morning. You're not just going through the motions. I hope you're not. You're either here looking for healing or praise the one who gave it to you. 
That's why we're here. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. That's why we do what we do. And so often, let me tell you something, church. We're so good at getting sidetracked, aren't we? I mean, I, I find myself so, some Sunday mornings and I'm looking at the preacher and I'm going, what are you preaching? Come on. If you would have just gone here, and it would have been much better. Avery, can you believe what they sang this morning? Come on, it was so slow. Why didn't they get it up tempo a little bit? Can you believe what decisions they've made? Can you believe what's going on over there at that church? Missed it. Right? Because there's a man who gave us healing and gave us hope when we had none. And that's why we're here. I want to finish my story with my mom. Um, So after eight years, hang on. After eight years of going through the motions and, and feeling stuck on the roadside, watching everybody else do life and uh, feeling like we're, we're just not going to get out of this thing, my mom finally hits the point where she says, I can't do this anymore. And by the way, if you're in a situation like that, you can never make somebody do something that they're not willing to do themselves. That's why you just bring them to the roadside and you wait until they make the decision because Jesus is the one who changes hearts, not us. And by the way, when he was here and he was walking the earth, there were still Pharisees who saw his miracles and still didn't believe in him. So there are some people who will just never get there. But it's not our job to figure out who that is. It's our job to take them to the road. And, and so here we are. We're, we're, we're by the roadside and every day is the same. And then mom decides, I can't do this anymore. I can't hide this anymore. It's, it's gotten to a point. I've got to change something. Mom, what are, what are people going to think? What about all the other preachers' wives and towns? What are they going to say about you? What is the church going to think? I've got to do this. There's no other way. And so she goes down forward on a Sunday morning after church, and the preacher takes the response from the preacher's wife. I love my dad. I love my mom. And great faith was shown on that day. And who knew if we were about to have to move, what's going to be said about the keen line. You know, we've come from a line of preachers. Thank you, Alan, for, for your comments. It means a lot. What are people going to say when they find out who we really are on the inside? And do you know that that church, two whole rows of people responded with her just to support her. And that church responded in such love and they said, look, we've never dealt with something like this, but we're, we're hanging in there with you every step of the way. And, and, and there were about three other people, I think is what it was, if I'm not mistaken, who left the auditorium that morning with tears in their eyes and some people ran out to get them. They didn't catch everybody because a lot of people ran fast during the invitation song. But they ran out because they saw people in tears and this church realized there are other people who are struggling because those people with tears in their eyes looked and they said, I'm struggling with the same thing the preacher's wife is and I don't know what to do. You see, that's what happens when real grace is presented. Lives begin to change. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And I, I pray that that's where our focus stays. Amen? Because that's what it's all about. And now, three years because of that church, because of my mom's faith, but most importantly, because Jesus passed by on a day of deliverance that started different than any other day. That Sunday was different than any other day. And because she had the faith to make the decision to drop the coat and to drop the cup and run to Jesus... She's three, over three years sober now. 
couldn't be prouder of where our family's at. And so listen, I don't know where you are this morning and I don't know what you have going on in your life, but here's what I do know. Everybody's got a cup and a coat at some point. And we've all sat by the roadside at some point, right? Because Isaiah 59 tells us that, the, that our, our iniquities have separated us from our God and that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you've got something in your life where you finally believe someone in this world, whether it was a friend who was trying to actually help you and they said, here, just try this, it'll help. Whether it was a family member who said, try this, it will help. Or whether it was just Satan reaching into your cup and saying, try this, it's going to make it better. Whatever it is, I know you've got a cup and I know you've got a coat and I know you've got something in your life that either you've worked through or that has affected you. And so my prayer to you this morning is that you praise Jesus for his moment of deliverance, whether you're about to receive it or whether you received it years ago in the waters of baptism, whatever it is for you, I pray that you take the moment to give him some praise this morning. If you need to respond and come down here like, like my mom did about three years ago and to receive some grace, there's no better time to do that today because Jesus isn't here to stay. He's passing by. If you need something, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.